Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce for Tomorrow, sponsored by Ericsson. My name is Jason Duff. I'm the IBM host today. I'm the IBM Oil and Gas Industry Lead. Just a quick mention from our sponsors, Ericsson. Clearly, as we're all aware, the oil and gas industry is digitizing rapidly. In addition to helping the industry reap the benefits of cost reductions, capture efficiencies of the top line revenue, achieve safety and environmental goals. There's quite a lot of things in there. Digitization is enabling better and stronger connectivity. Ericsson provides best-in-class connectivity solutions for the oil and gas industry with its 4G and 5G private networks. If you want to know more about these, you should tune in to the podcast we did with Varin last week. Check out Ericsson on www.ericsson.com forward slash oil and gas. I'll put that in the notes. So, hey, guys, thank you. Today, I've got my co-host, Jim Kosis. How are you, Jim? Doing well, Jason. Who have you brought today, Jim? Yeah, I'm excited. I've got uh, Vijay Dejaraju from Salonis, and you may have heard of Salonis. But Vijay, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Vijay. Jim, thank you very much for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Sure thing. Can you tell us a little bit about Salonis? I know you guys are a high-growth tech company. We're seeing it in a lot of the clients that we've been talking to. It'd be great if you can kind of tell us a little bit about Salonis and some of the work that you guys are doing. Thank you. Yeah, so Salonis is a hyper-growth startup. You know, we started in academia uh, with the concept of let's take an x-ray of your business. So three incredibly smart students at the University of Munich came up with this idea as a college project. And over the course of the last 12 years, they further built a decacorn. We're currently valued at $13 billion, all around the discipline of process mining and also inventing a new category of software called execution management. Did you say decacorn? What is that? I did. Decacorn is the startups that have achieved a certain valuation. So we're currently valued at $13 billion, and so that officially gives us the decacorn status. Okay, that's a new word for me. I thought it was some sort of new cereal that we had in Texas, Jim. I thought it was a group of unicorns, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> in any case, congratulations to you and Salonis. So you guys do uh, process mapping, right? Is that right, Vijay? Process mining, Jim. I make the distinction because mapping traditionally is more just the visual of what's happening, while as mining is actually taking a data-driven approach, sitting on top of systems, and really bringing forward what's happening with the actual clicks in the underlying ERP systems and large enterprise-grade applications. Cool. And who's actually buying this software just now and the solution? Yeah, so we've been fortunate to penetrate all industries. So we've had a significant presence in healthcare, retail, CPG, oil and gas. You know, one of our largest verticals is oil and gas. And to your question, typically the personas we're seeing are 
folks in digital, we're seeing chief digital officers, chief procurement officers, chief financial officers, right? Because using the discipline of process mining can allow you to have insights into how you can take cost out of the business. Where are we not running lean? Where is there opportunity for us to save? How can we improve productivity or efficiency? How can we make our people enjoy their job more? And I know we were talking a lot about workforce and talent. And, you know, Salonis is a tool that's making people execute their jobs easier. Is this used, I mean, you and I were talking before this and your experience in utilities and where you were going with finance processes, et cetera. This has set you up perfectly for oil and gas and energy for Salonis, correct? From a skill perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I'll kind of share with the group here a little bit about my journey. So I did about 16 years in consulting, always on the finance transformation, supply chain transformation side. And when I was looking to make this next move in the software, and I was learning more about Salonis, a lot of what Salonis is doing in a software, I used to do traditionally on pen and paper. Hours and hours of workshops, lots of money, some cool trips. I still remember <laughs> going to France, you know, doing global process design, right? You have 10 different people in a room, the Japanese contingent, French contingent, North American contingent, all trying to design one common accounts payable process. And a lot of cultural differences. And a tool like Salonis takes the subjectivity and that workshop time and the travel expense time, because now you can do it with a data-driven approach. Here's how the process is working from what's happening in your systems. Cool. Jim, we've got another global traveler, I think, with us. I think that's what we just learned. Yeah, it certainly sounds that way. We'll have to compare notes, BJ. <laughs> yeah. So on the process mining side of things, it's, it seems like there's a natural alignment, uh, mining and, and oil and gas, but keen to understand. So it sounds like it makes the complex a little bit more simple to absorb. You know, what kind of skills within, specifically in the oil and gas industry, do you need to really take full advantage of the capability that process mining brings? Yeah, I think... As we've seen the oil and gas super majors adopt this platform, right? We're seeing the emergence of centers of excellence, like Salonis centers of excellence, where it's, you know, the technology skills, taking the platform, educating the enterprise on the power of process mining, working with them to identify, okay, here's how you can deploy this technology in your business. So what I mean by that, if we take accounts payable, very straightforward. We need to receive invoices. We need to pay our vendors on time. Applying that discipline back to accounts payable processors to be able to essentially do their job quicker, faster, and easier. And so what Salonis does is can give you intelligent prioritization of invoices. So when I come into work each day, it's taking some of the guesswork out of it. I can come into a prioritized queue that says you need to pay these 10 invoices. And that's where I think you're seeing, that's what the workforce of the future, as we're attracting younger, the next generation, I think they want some of that work prioritized and some of that decision-making advanced for them. So there's less effort, essentially, because, you know, if we think about the iPhone and how much that simplified our world, right, and our lives, I think we're seeing that carrying over into enterprise and corporate jobs. And so that is, I think, the expectation of the workforce for the future. Yeah, if I got it right, it sounds like process mining activity takes out some of the mundane activities and really looks for exceptions in how 
folks can address those areas where they can quickly make changes as needed as opposed to doing that manual mining of the information to get to that point. Yeah. You know, I gave an example on accounts payable, but if we go a little bit deeper on the oil and gas side, right, when we look in uh, maintenance, repair, and overhaul, we're starting to see this emerging technology being used actually now in the field, which, Jim, with all your experience, that isn't the population that's going to go after emerging technology and raise their hand and say, yeah, sign us up. So when we're looking at planning and scheduling and having more efficiencies in the field, when we do major turnarounds, it's software like Salonis that can help, again, like you said, make it less mundane, take the guesswork out, and have a more intelligent data-driven approach. Yeah, it seems like you know, part of that, or a big part of this is just around that user experience, right? So I think a lot of folks kind of push back on the use of technology if it becomes a highly complicated, poor user experience, and it really doesn't change any of the actions that they may have taken otherwise. And it seems like this helps facilitate it. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, we continue to augment the product. We were talking about world travel. We just had our user conference in Munich, you know, fantastic four days. You know, we were able to have about eight different oil and gas customers and did some great events there. But Drink beer. Yeah, exactly. Have all the good German beers. But on the user experience side, one thing we were very excited to announce at our annual user conference was the introduction of what we're calling business minor. And so that's going to give the end user, the layman, the ability to simply type in certain questions as to the performance of their business And then Salonis will start to then follow a series of additional questions to help that business user ultimately get to the answer they're looking for as they're looking to solve whatever problem it is in their day-to-day. Sounds good to me. Earlier, you mentioned centers of excellence to help with the adoption of this capability. Can you say a little bit more about how you set up a center of excellence and kind of the components of it and skills you need to staff such an organization? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this platform, right? We make a joke with our clients. We say, don't be a tool because Salonis is not a tool. Okay. We're a platform. I don't know where I can take that one, Jim. I've been told that a few times actually, (laughs) (laughs) but I get your point. I think it's a really great point. It's not a tool. Because a tool is often used sporadically. Yeah. One-time use. Well, as a platform is something that's here to stay, right? So to your question around, what does it take To build a COE, you really need very strong sponsorship within an organization. We've seen a strong sponsor coming from chief digital officer, chief procurement officer. I believe you asked earlier, you know, where are we seeing the buying personas? So having that strong sponsorship, mandating and or endorsing that, hey, this is the platform of choice that we're going to use. We're going to start running our programs and transformations with a data-driven approach. And then it's starting to establish that center of excellence, right? And so inside the center of excellence, there's so many different operating models, right? You can have an IT-led, you can have sub-COEs within the business. So you really have flexibility to adapt to your organization, but you really need that strong initial leader. You do need data scientists, right, that can ingest the data into the Salonis platform from the underlying source systems. And then you need strong champions in the business, global process owners, folks that are very interested in waking up every day and furthering their business. So those are the skills, but it also feels like there's a mindset that you need to bring to 
not only mine kind of the processes, but to look for improvements and make the changes to to benefit from them. Would you say that's right? Yeah. There's a utilities organization that I work with and, you know, they have a slogan, every day better, right? And to your point around mindset, I think that's the mindset we're starting to see more and more corporations have the slogan, but it's technologies like Salonis that can actually make you live it, that continuous improvement mindset. Vijay, is there anything different in the energy sector that we're not doing or other sectors that you've seen in your experience where we're laggards in oil and gas, where we could catch up, et cetera? Is there any view? If not, I'm interested in your, this industry is looking, as we said in prep as well, looking to transform someone like yourself that spent some time in utilities or energy is a great way of bringing that to the oil and gas clients. But any, any view in that, Vijay? Yeah. Between the three of us, our collective experience, I mean, it's been fantastic to see the industry actually embrace digital. You know, I don't think we're starting. I think we've seen significant spend in digital technologies, whether it was transforming the HR systems or modernizing ERP. And then it's platforms like Salonis, right, that we're starting to see investment in. So I think there's more work to do in getting the oil and gas and utilities industry to further adopt artificial intelligence, machine learning, right, all the lovely buzzwords. But I do think it's simple solutions like Salonis that you mentioned earlier, Jim, like making it user-friendly. I think that allow the industry to build more confidence that these platforms and these technologies can enable and further their journeys. What energy workforce of tomorrow then, if you take it to that stage, what's Salonis doing in terms of fueling that? And I understand it's a, what was your phrase? It's mining, not mapping. I think I've just, I've written that down. So thank you. But how do we make sure that the new VJs, the next gen VJs, Jasons and Jims coming into this world, how do we attract them to both Salonis, but also want to work in oil and gas in your view? Yeah. I spent many years in consulting. So I do think the new workforce is always looking for the new cool, shiny object. So I think tech continues to be a space in which we can easily attract talent. And at a Salonis, right, hyper growth, very fast pace moving. I think you need to be able to be adaptable. You need to be nimble, flexible, be able to deal well with change because we're constantly growing the business. Right. In terms of skill set that we need in the oil and gas sector and how do we further this, we're seeing the emergence of the data scientist role. Yeah. Right. We're seeing large enterprise building chapters or foundational skills in data science, knowledge management. So I think we're starting to see how we can take all the data we have access to and actually either monetize it, make better decisions, or just use it more generally speaking. And I assume, I think I know the answer here, but Salonis' deal then going forward is to manage this, you would look to partners like IBM, like your relationship with Jim, to go into and actually service these companies going forward, right? You don't see Salonis being this behemoth SI, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, look, we, at our size and scale, right, we do need to depend on the ecosystem, you know, wonderful partners like IBM, right, to help us further the journey of our clients, right? In many of these cases, the consulting firms have much stronger relationships and understanding of our clients' business. So we absolutely need to partner. That is kind of a partner-first strategy that we're on right now. If a client is bringing in Salonis, what type of skills are they based? Is it finance 
or process or IT people that they're reskilling? Because that's an interesting thing. Again, something we spoke before with Jim is what type of skills do they need to have going forward? Because that's an interesting thing as well. And then how do we feed that? Yeah, so we see the product owner role being more and more prevalent. So having the Salonis product owner that understands the platform can go sell to the business. And then inside the business, you need global process owners, process champions that then can go to that next layer of the analysts and front end users that are executing the transaction. So I'd really say it's coming down to, again, the data scientists, the product owner, and the global process owners. What are you doing around kind of retention, right? Because these are all kind of the hot skills, right? So data scientists, product owners, process kind of experts. These are folks who've got a lot of options. We see a lot of folks with these skills looking for more of a work-life balance, but in a fast-paced kind of market, those sometimes can be in conflict. So keen to understand how you guys may be addressing that. Yeah, I think it all comes with making sure we have the right career paths identified. How do we still preserve our culture of being a startup? And how do we still meet the demands of the fast-moving nature of our business. And so I think we've done a nice job of identifying who those high-potential individuals are, mapping out the career and the paths and the progression, and making sure that we're giving people that vision and that timeline and clarity of, okay, hey, if you can achieve A, B, and C, this is what the next phase of your career looks like. And so I think the type of people we're attracting are extremely ambitious individuals, right, to work in this hyper-growth environment. And so we're constantly making sure that our job progression and career path is mapping with that. Yeah, and what you said earlier, too, seems to fit in nicely is that the ambition is to be Right. So there's an ecosystem set of partners that you work with that handle certain parts of the value proposal that, that process mining brings. And there are areas that you all specialize in, but certainly it can't be everything. And I think that helps with really finding talent that aligns to those very specific goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. You guys were talking about travel. Where are some of your best locations that oh, you've traveled to? Yeah. So, Jim, where do you want to start? Japan, maybe, Jim's? Yeah. Between Jason and I, we covered a good part of Asia, and each one of the countries were very unique in what they had to offer and think must-sees, and Japan certainly was near the top of the list. I uh, spent about two and a half years in Japan and absolutely loved it. Did you get some skiing in? No, unfortunately, I stayed pretty close to the city during my time there. <laughs> I went to Japan after Jim went, and he told me what it was going to be like. Fantastic. Just culturally, yeah. For me, the global, go back to your, I think your overall point, I think it's just the traveling and the cultural aspect. And then waking up in the morning, I used to say to Jim, we used to work in ASEAN, and literally you'd have to get up in the morning in a hotel, do a lap of the bedroom, decide where you are, and then decide which Jason turned up or Jim turned up. And I really mean it. If you go to Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, all very, very different. You can't get through the point. And that was a real challenge. I loved that area. As experience of that, I think I almost experienced that in Russia and Ukraine and Kazakhstan in the 90s and the early 2000s. That was tough. For me, it's the cultural, how do you get to go back to our jobs as coming in and being change agents and consulting 
understanding the industry, but how do you then use that cultural initiative to get it over? Yeah, to me, it's the only constant in all of that is the change, right? And being able to adapt personally and ways of working is different, very much different in every country that you work in. And back here in the United States, even regionally, you've got different kind of approaches and ways of working and being able to adapt to those changes I think is critical in kind of the tech industry. VJ, I don't know if you know this, but Jim used to be the Thailand country lead. So he stuck his hand up one day and said, yeah, I'll go with the family. I'll be your Thailand country lead. By the time I was like, do you talk Thai? Nope, but I can learn other stuff. But dude, hats off. I think that's what this industry does different in the consulting side. It gives a great opportunity for bring it back to energy workforce for tomorrow. What's the biggest thing? If you really are a young Fiji or Jim and want to travel, this industry is, I just think, phenomenal, to be honest. Yeah, very much the mindset, right? So it's coming into those situations kind of, I hate to say it, but is it process mining, you know, taking a look at what's going on, what's the landscape, trying to understand what's going on and how to be successful is skill there. And I think finding people who have that same kind of desire to learn and do things and take on new challenges is what we look for in our business around the types of skills and the technology continues to change and evolve. And finding people who have that willingness to do so, I think, is the key. I really liked what you said around being able to adapt to the cultures that you're working in or the cities that you're in. We've talked a lot about Salonis, and it brought to me, kind of taking us back to what we were focusing on, is our product and platform, right? I've talked a lot about global process owners and this and that. And so what might work for a business unit in North America may not work for a business unit in Kazakhstan or in Australia. So that's been a very interesting learning with our clients because we are serving, you know, major global oil and gas companies, but they're still culturally different. And you have to be respectful of what the cultural norms are in that specific locale, especially when you're looking to change process, especially when you're looking to introduce new technologies. There's a different learning curve. So that's been extremely interesting and fascinating. And in terms of our people, I'm very proud of, you know, our team and that newer generation showing that adaptability and flexibility and openness to new cultures. I wonder though, if we did have, I started traveling in 95. I think I got on a bus and haven't stopped. <laughs> that's how I feel. And maybe my wife, Margaret, will tell you the same thing. Although the last three years, she's seen a lot more of me. There's a big Six foot five hole in the back garden. I think I'm about to lie in that at some point if I don't go back to work or go traveling. But I wonder in my mind if if I had Salonis back in the late 90s, 2000 or that type of mining, I wonder if things would have been different. Because if you think about it, go back to your point, Vijay, on places like Kazakhstan, Nigeria. When we've gone somewhere, it's always taking these countries want to know and learn. And, you know, what have you done? Let's use that and then use some localization. I actually wonder now if I go back in my history and if I had some of that mining, it would have been so much easier. Because as people do want standardization and then minimize on the localization, I assume that's the big thing of, I was thinking, okay, Chevron, Exxon, start taking this and really applying this globally. This could be a huge element for them of rolling out standards and how to do certain elements, right? And get to the, not have to go to the library and look at, up a dictionary and understand what's going on. They have it, the data, that so you can analyze and understand what's going wrong, what's wrong. Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked a lot about developing skill sets for the next VJ or the next workforce, but think about the skills that we're building in other countries. So if we think about some of those African countries that we mentioned, Nigeria, et cetera, like it's now bringing emerging technology and retooling or building a new skill set that's going to allow those folks 
to have a career in technology. And so that's the breadth and depth, I think, of Salonis inside these global organizations and the ability to expand out into other countries and areas. I would also say our experience, Jim, with the national companies, the national companies, these guys will move quicker. So you're right. All my conversations just now, we've got this product just now with Slumbers or SLB, I should call them now, on OSDU for subsurface platform. We're going to talk to Nigeria, Thailand, Pakistan, etc., China. These companies can move quicker than the multinationals. And again, that might also be the area where you guys will have a huge, you know, there's not the bureaucracy, if you like, and a much quicker must-do, let's jump the gun. For me, that's quite an interesting sort of page as well, Jim. Yeah, there's often what you see as you travel the globe is that some of the resistance is around, yes, you understand the industry, but here we do it a little bit differently, right? And being able to, I think, respect what that is, but at the same time, take advantage of the benefits that standardization could bring helps facilitate that conversation and process binding tools seem to help make that more feasible than just kind of an academic kind of agreement. Fiji, just wrapping up into the last five minutes, I'm interested, you and I know that we talked about, I come from a family business and went into this multinational called IBM and there's clearly went from freedom to, hold on, everyone wants to check everything there, but I get it. You've gone the other way. You've gone from Accenture to Salonis. How does that feel? Because that's another thing. If you think about it, this is your own transformation or your own movement. How did that feel and what's the differences? Because that's interesting to me of going out. Not that I'm looking for a job, Vijay, but I'll give you my number at the end of this. Yeah. You know, we were talking earlier and I was saying, you know, I never pictured myself working in the oil and gas or utility sector. I think I was telling you the story about how I was really hoping to go work for ESPN. But that idea was shot down by my father. Um, But you talked about career transformation. And so for eight years of my career, I was deploying ERP solutions for finance and supply chain. Then I went very vertical heavy and became industry heavy and became more of a utilities and oil and gas subject matter expert. I do think there is some, you do need to be selective as you're looking to make these changes. And so when I was evaluating Salonis and giving up a very good career on the services side, at least moving over to tech in a subject matter of finance transformation, ERP transformation within the same sector, at least I wasn't changing too many pegs on the stool. I still had a lot of upskill and I'm still learning the software business every day as I'm getting my feet wet here. But I do think it needs to be not a radical transformation, but more of a stepping stone transformation so that you can be successful. You know, one of my strongest mentors always said, three pegs on a stool, you really don't want to interrupt more than two. You need to keep two of those stable. So, you know, to answer your question, fortunately, I've kept the industry and then the discipline the same, although I've switched from services to software. I like that. I actually really do like that. So you know what I'd like to do in the next podcast, Jim? I wonder if we should bring, we've used this as a bit of a, who Salonis is. It's mining, not mapping. There's a bruise on my bottom left leg from VJ making sure that I said that correctly. But I, joking apart, I'd kind of quite like to go to the next stage of the next podcast, bring a client in or a user and explain what they've done and what the impact is to their business. And what does that mean to the workforce? What type of people we bring in, Jim? That seems like the right thing to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. Really interested, again, in really hearing from someone that can see the change from working through kind of the administrative kind of activities and moving to like action, right? And I think that's what 
this tooling provides, or let's avoid tooling, right? So yeah. this platform provides is really around <laughs> action and not just activity. And that's, I think, the also kind of loops into retention, right? When people kind of get bogged down in kind of administration and doing that type of activity without being able to take action and have impact, that doesn't lead to a satisfying kind of work environment. Fiji, in the notes for the listeners, we'll put your connection and your LinkedIn if that's okay. But if there's anything on oil and gas in Salonis, then more than happy to attach that as well if that helps. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity and more than happy to share my contact information. Cool. So, Jim, do you want to wrap up? Seems like a great guy, global Salonis mining platform, not tool. Anything else that we... No, but I'm going to look for those decacorns out there with the unicorns out on the ranch. I look forward to eating those in my breakfast tomorrow morning. Excellent. Vijay, thank you very, very much for coming in. Let's try and get you back in in the new year and try and get into 2023 and see if we can get maybe a client in and go deep on this one. I really think that'd be a really interesting one for the audience. Vijay, thank you. Thank you very much. Really appreciate the opportunity. So listeners, thank you very much for listening. As we always say, Jim and I started this podcast in October with some of the co-hosts. We're all up for adapting, adopting and improving this. If you want to be the next Vijay, and want to get on the show, please drop us a note. More than happy. If you want us to change something or want to connect, you know it's in the notes. But yeah, that's it. Jim, any last words? No, thank you, VJ. Cheers. Thanks, guys. See you time. Thanks, VJ. Thank you. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. Oh,